Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. And this is Get On Board, a podcast about games worth playing. Join us every week for great analysis on board games, pick fives, reviews, and all sorts of other entertaining board game talk. Welcome to Synchronized Introduction with Echo. Get, Get on, on board. board. A podcast about games worth, worth playing. 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 A podcast about games worth playing. We are pleased that you joined us today, and we have a very interesting podcast that's going to take us through a solo game. This is our first review of a solo game. Have we reviewed a solo game before? I don't think we've reviewed an exclusively solo game before. Okay. This this may be the first time. We're flying solo. Uh, It's not working. Okay. So, yeah, our first time reviewing a solo game. I'm excited to see what that review has in store of Black Sonata. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Let's talk about recent plays. Mine are not terribly exciting. They're things that I've played before and maybe inching a little bit closer to a review decision on. Uh-huh. Interesting. Castle Ravenloft. I'm now on campaign number five with it. So okay. we've played about eight games of it, which means that we've lost like three times. And yeah, we had to quit. I think it was, we didn't lose the last one we played. It just, uh, time-wise, we had to put the game away. So I I have to say, people give this system flack. They say it's dated. Okay. They say it's simple. Okay. They say it has a little bit of ambiguity. I would say not on anything that's important and mm-hmm. nothing that's very difficult to figure out. Mm-hmm. And as a dice chucker and a thematic game, I really like it. Hmm. I, I'm really enjoying Castle Ravenloft, hmm. but I'm a guy who sometimes shies away from the super meat of some of the heavier dungeon crawlers. Sure. So for me, I'm having a lot of fun with this thing. I get on Spotify, find a really good Dungeons & Dragons playlist, hit, hit play, and we're, we're just having a really cool time putting out these. And the minis in this game are just absolutely gorgeous. Um, I could imagine that people into the role-playing game might buy that just because um, you can find it at pretty bargain prices huh. used. Yeah. I would imagine that you could buy that. Boy, the Bone Dragon alone on it is, is <laughs> a really cool mini that's pretty well cool. worth a, the price of a used uh, version of the game. So I yeah. guess I'll trade you a solo review for a Dungeon Crawl review at some point. It, but I'll maybe. have to try this one. So, that yeah. has to get in the cards. Yeah, that's my one of my recent plays, Castle Ravenloft. What do you okay. got? Uh, I played Sentient, which I picked up at Geekway to the West. Mm-hmm. Sentient was kind of... It had a lot of hype, and then it faded pretty quickly because of price point. But basically, think of this game as like a Splendor-esque, Century Spice Road-esque, Majesty for the Realm, that weight of game. So like 30, 45 minutes, probably. Okay. Kind of a... Uh, gateway plus game I guess you could call it but basically this is a manipulation game where you're drafting bots from a central row and you're plugging these bots into your network which is five dice and each space between the dice is a place to put bots so you're going to draft four bots around and each bot will manipulate the dice on either side of it it'll either increment them up or increment them down or keep them the same and what you're trying to do is adjust these dice to score different conditions on the bots that you're plugging in. So you're trying to plug in bots which will work with your dice and manipulate them, but then manipulate them to the positions that you need them to be in. And every die will border two bots. So basically you'll have two opportunities to move your dice up or down. Okay. And, and you're trying to kind of tune your dice to get the numbers you need to score points based on the conditions on the cards. So like one card will give you seven points if it's bordered by two fives, for example. So maybe it bumps your left one up, which was a four, and now it's a five. And your other one was a five, but it keeps it the same. So what you need now on your right side is a card that doesn't increment that die. And on your left side, you need a card that won't increment that die. So you're just trying to kind of manipulate these five dice in the round to score different points through different conditions. So it's interesting that you mentioned the price point may have killed it. Well, first Mm -hmm. of all, so what are the games? I think you said Century Spice, Mm -hmm. kind of that similar weight of game. I would expect to find those for high 20s, low 30s. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Century Spice Road's at about now. I mean, Splendor can be had for pretty cheap, if I yeah. understand right. Majesty is newer, but you know that sort of game, you're expecting to put out 30. And I think the MSRP for this was 55 or 60. 
Hey everybody, Future Andrew here from the Recording Bay. I looked this up on Amazon. Sentient is going for about $40 these days. So a little bit higher than those other games, but not quite as bad as the outrageous MSRP would have you believe. Editing Andrew out. Wow, it's not a very big box, which, okay. It's yeah, the same, I, I, it's the same get, box size as something like Splendor. But there's also just not a, that much game in that it's box. It's a card game with, yeah, 20 custom dice. Or I think you can go up to five players, 25 custom dice. So, yeah, I, I, I liked the game. I thought it was an interesting little exercise. It's a little mathy. It's a little thinky. But mm-hmm. for something in the vein of, like, Century Spice Road, I think it's maybe one slight step up. So I appreciate that. You know, I've enjoyed the two plays of it. But, yeah, for the price point, it's hard to recommend. Yeah. I haven't checked on Amazon to see what the going rate is. It may be that it's come down since it's launched. But I remember when it launched... Man, the MSRP was really high. Yeah. And people kind of freaked out. I need more plays to draw conclusions. I may end up liking it more than I do. But right now, you know, I think it's a good game. Yeah. Decent. I'm not, you know, I'm looking forward to playing it some more and developing some better opinions on it. That's sentient by Renegade Games. Yeah. Well, a recent play for me, which I know is also a recent play for you, <laughs> was real yesterday's play of Risk Europe. Oh, man, this was good. Now, see, I'm really surprised that you said that. You had a rough game. I did have a rough game, but it didn't knock the game in any in any way. So what I really like about Risk Europe is, yes, and I know for those who haven't tried it, you're hearing the word risk and you're going, oh, okay, so it's a map of Europe with, you know, just Europe and you play risk on it. No, it's really not that at all. You have order cards. Mm-hmm. You choose, you have 10 order cards altogether. You choose two order cards per turn. You place them down in mm-hmm. order, and they'll play the top one for player one, the top one for player two around the table, and the next one for player one and two yep. around the table. And it kind of limits what you can do. Yep. The movement is not like all over the place like it is in Risk, where you can choose to move 30 times per turn. No, mm-hmm. if you play one that's expand into... The most you can do is expand into a territory next to you. That's yeah. it. But um, expanding into a territory means you can pin other players in that territory so they can't move further that time. So there's a lot of strategic uh, component to it. There's a taxation and, uh, you know, component to it where based on the amount of territory and the territories that you control with major cities in it, you'll Mm -hmm. get, uh, you'll get more money uh, to buy more armies. There is a lot going on in this game and it, boy, it led to some really fast, I mean, the moment one person got anywhere in the lead, yeah. it was like just negotiation to... And Steven was kind of complaining a bit because he was the first one to poke his head kind of above the pack, and yeah. he immediately got hammered down you know, by all involved. But no, I can't hold my bad game against the game. Yeah. I just made an error. You know, I kind of... You have these starting cities that all grant you abilities. Rome grants you two crowns, which in a race to seven crowns, I figured was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. So I bid to go first, and the other half of my calculation was I figured that I thought the northern powers were a whole lot better than the southern powers, personally. Yeah. So I thought, oh, well, I'll take Italy down here, and then hopefully, you know, at least two of the three of you would go north, mm-hmm. and I'd have plenty of room to expand on either side and really build a solid base. Well, uh, Constantinople was picked and Madrid was picked, which hemmed me in on both sides. So that was just a... That was just a placement error on my part, misreading my group. Uh, I can't hold it against the game at all. I mean, I deserve to be crushed. Just just like the actual Papal States, <laughs> I did about as well as actual history. Now, this game so, took us, we figured, about, what, two and a half? I think three hours. Right, right about three hours. Three. It could have gone faster. There was a bit of yeah, uh, setup and have. learning there. Um, I, th- I think that experienced players could knock a game, out, a game of this out in two hours. I think so, but see, this is where we start to run into trouble. I really like this game in a vacuum. But yeah. see, Axis and Allies is not that much longer. And I really enjoy Axis and Allies. I do. I think you are upping the time commitment a little bit, but once you're over two hours, you know, kind of all bets are off in my book. So I don't know. We're, we're not ready to review this game. We don't have five plays of it in. No. But I'll tell you this. The first game that we played was a three-player game. That's a mistake on this game. Yeah, because if you play three players, the fourth player plays a dummy player, and it's whoever. Oh, I forget the condition for you getting bid. the dummy player. Yeah, that's right. You, you bid to get it, round. and having a dummy player on your side is so incredibly powerful that it creates this really swingy and weird experience. 
Plus, we were playing with the basic rules, which is you buy yeah. 10 crowns or 10 coins to buy a crown. And yeah. so many crowns gets you the victory. So you could buy your way to victory pretty right. much, which I didn't like. And the advanced rules take that away. Mm-hmm. And instead of um, just buying crowns for victory, the crowns also have a mission on them that you have to complete. Yeah. Yeah. And that made a lot more sense. So playing with the advanced rules with four players, to me, that's where this game really shone. I mean, I'm confident that's the game as intended to be played. Yeah, and it just bothers me, though, that if you're going to put fewer players on, come up with a better scale mechanism, the scale the board, yep. don't yep. do this dummy yeah. player. The dummy player crap. was dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it was. But, yeah, I think Risk Europe is is good. Mm-hmm. I would struggle to pick it over something like Axis and Allies or even... At that time, commitment Zaya or Merchants and Marauders. I know they're a different sort yeah. of game, but for yeah. for length of game that you're committing here, it's an odd it's an odd way to brand the game because you've got the risk name on the one side, and you've actually got quite a decent game in here. But then you're still talking, yeah, three hours, and that puts it up against some really stiff competition. But if I were given the choice to play this and regular risk, oh, pff, any no day, yeah, any day, regular and I think risk. that's a good use for the game too. Maybe teaching some people who have only like for a lot of people uh, who've just played the market board games, mm-hmm. or the you know the 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 Walmart sold board games. Yeah. Uh, risk is about as deep as they've gotten, mm-hmm. but I think this is accessible and can open up a door too. For I people. agree, although it's still really long, which limits the accessibility in my mind. If this were honestly an hour and a half game, I would recommend it. It's twenty bucks. Yeah. Go buy oh, yeah. the sucker. Yeah. I felt it was a lot easier to yeah. teach than Axis and Allies. That's true. The combat was easy to wrap your mind around, but it was still interesting. Yeah. I, Boy, I'm not sure I would necessarily put this above Axis and Allies in my book. You that mean, sounds weird. You think you might put it above Axis and Allies in your book? I, it would hit the table more. Axis and Allies is a more beautiful and elegant game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this I've one, I, I feel like, would hit the table more often for me. Keep so. getting tempted by that anniversary edition, but the box oh, is it's bigger you. than my house. So. It's calling you. Oh, so. I've talked it down so far. Well, another one that I played, this is a game that we've talked about a lot here at Get On Board. Kuhandle Master, or Kamon, mm-hmm. is the retheme that I've played. So basically, this is an obscure Ravensburger card game that went out of print, and kind of an enterprising fan rethemed it to a samurai deck and made the files available for free. So however you feel about the legality of that the fact is the game was out of print so mm-hmm. i discovered it through the print and play through pictures of it printed the print and play played it and loved it so much that i eventually tracked down a, an old copy of the actual kuhando master so it's still for sale and you can buy it on amazon.de uh, right you might be able they're definitely selling through existing stock it's definitely not being printed anymore okay. it's not on the publisher's website um such a shame reseeing this game let's pause this to say publishers that are reprinting classic gems please reprint this game put a cool theme on it even even a cool stock market theme would have been better than than the or horse trading without the cartoony like different breeds of horses or something like there's so many ways you could take this even just having it in print again would be phenomenal i mean i i'm such a big fan of this game and it's really been forgotten but here's the interesting thing so i played I actually played the published version with my friends. I said, hey, let's try this. I'm worried about my print and play cards wearing out because they're homemade. So let's try the published game. Let's see how bad it is with the original artwork, which is just very cartoony. And to my shock, it's there's differences. The The creator of the print and play did not just straight up rip this game. He huh, actually so made design difference. He made, yeah, he made design decisions in print and playing it. So... In Kamon, what you're trying to do in the game is you're trying to collect sets of four different animals, or in the case of Kamon, samurai clans. But you're trying to collect these quartets of cards. And in Kamon, they're linear. So you have 10, 25, 50, 65, 75, 100. You know, they're very linear. Well, in Kuhandle Master, they're not. You have 10, 40, Whoa. 90, 250, 350, 800, 1,000. Like, oh it's not gosh. a line at all. You've got these little piddly sets down at the bottom that are just worth nothing. That changes everything. It really I mean, does. it's, it's going to make a mad scramble for the... It's it, it's really interesting. Um, and I, I won our game, so maybe I'm predisposed to say this, but I actually liked the distribution better in the, in the game as published. Uh-huh. 
I haven't, you know, laid out all the cards and compared them side by side, but just in comparing my plays of them, it made for a really different dynamic. I mean, the geese were worth 40. They were nothing. But right. I got a set of geese with the set of horses, which are worth a thousand. Now my thousands are worth two thousand because it's a multiplier. Right. I mean, it really changed the way it really made the higher valued ones more valuable, I thought. And you're incented to go you're incent yeah, you're really incented to fight for the higher value ones. Yeah. But you're also really incented to get some cheap sets to multiply. Exactly. It too. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It kind of it kind of puts everyone more on the same page almost instead of just splitting up and, and going for different sets. The other thing I I didn't know is there's actually a variant in that you draw two cards and have an auction with those. The game as published is just one card. Um, and then the game as published adds a, a digit to everything, adds a place number. So everything is 10 higher, a factor of 10 higher than the than the common print and play, which actually I'm on the side of the print and play here. It's already a super mathy game. You're already breaking out a calculator. Why not shave off those zeros? Yeah. I mean, turn 1,000 into 100 just... It just means you're multiplying smaller numbers. All the ratios still work just fine. Yeah, so huh. so that was interesting. It was interesting to have to have the difference there. And now I'm stuck with the problem of preferring the game as published, but still preferring the artwork of the print and play. So you know what I wonder if, if uh, this where this game may have fallen flat. If you look at that game, that mm-hmm. looks like a, a like a kid's game. Yeah, and I wonder if people saw that and thought. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll be a great game for my, you know, the younger set. Oh, but see, it's really thinking. Yeah, it's really it's that's not a kid's game, yeah. and you you don't put I don't know, it's like putting a you know a, a Hello Kitty theme on a worker placement game. You know yeah. why why would you do that? Yeah, I I wonder if they kind of kill themselves with that. Okay, I'm gonna make a personal impassioned plea here: restoration games, please go look up Kuhandel Master. I'll mail you my copy. Play it and see how good it is. This is. This is the epitome of classic Euros. This has the simple rules and depth of something like Raw. This is a really mm. good game. It deserves to be in print. It's a crime that it is not. It's a crime that it did not get more exposure on the market. Kuhandel Master, we've got to bring it back. Hashtag save Kuhandel Master. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Let's do this thing. All right. Well, my next recent play is one that I brought up uh, a few episodes back. Aeon's End, but okay. I finally got off of the first boss. The beginner boss? The yeah, movie. finally got off, off of that. And we played the Crooked Mask last night. We went up win? against Crooked Mask. We did, but we did a random set, and the random set did not have any heal. Mm. The only thing that healed was one of our player's starter cards, and it would just heal one guy, mm. once one health. That wow. was it. And so we had to make tough decisions. Be really conservative. And what we decided was we were going to let one player keep his health, mm-hmm. and the other two of us would exhaust. Now, exhausted players still mm-hmm. get to play. Mm-hmm. It's just that whenever they take damage, twice the amount of damage that gets that would get dealt to them gets dealt to um, Gravehold, which is. Could you guys heal Gravehold? Yes, I had the Gravehold healer, so I I only I did only have to invoke it once, but mm-hmm. we had to. Th- Think about everything and play yeah. really smart. Hmm. Two of us, though, got... To, and I, I honestly did not think we were going to make it. Mm-hmm. He was at about 45 health. Mm-hmm. We got him down to like 33, and then one of his cards healed him 13. We just, oh, man. I just put my head in my hands. I was, I was actually ready to say, guys, let's just start it over. There, <laughs> there's no way we're going to win this thing. Um, is, is Aeon's End a game where if one player dies, they all die? No. Oh, so you could keep as long as one of you is still alive to punch. Correct. You still keep Correct. punching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, what's tough is that um, if one of you, if say if two of you are dead and the one is still alive, like like we are going for, um, any card that says deal damage, deal this much damage to the lowest player will hit the guy who has actual health. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. makes it much harder to keep him yeah. alive. Yeah. And then if all of you die, of course, if all of you get exhausted, that's the term. Then, right. then you die. Gotcha. I, I really liked this monster because it added new mechanics. Mm-hmm. He had these corruption cards, and right. they would just slide into your discard pile. And each monster has its own deck of like creatures and and bad things, right? Well, yeah. So each 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 a uh, deck has each monster has its own deck of actions and creatures, which get combined with the base deck of actions gotcha. and creatures. Like which go in a tiered set, like yeah. you shuffle all the ones together, all the twos gotcha. together, all the threes together. So it gets worse and worse. <laughs> right, it gets worse and worse. And then, um, yeah, so 
But what they well, like you played the base boss guy, and when yeah. he unleashed, you know, you added like these tokens, and when you got three tokens, they did see the, the second monster wasn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. When he unleashed, somebody had to take one of the disc, one of his corruption cards and put mm-hmm. it in their put it on top of their uh hmm. draw deck. Oh, no, put it on top of their discard pile and then shuffle their discard pile into their deck. Mm-hmm. So now you've got this card floating in your deck and it has to resolve right. before anything else you do. So if you draw it, you've got to resolve that card first and it does something really bad to you. And it just goes back in the stack. Yeah. And so you know, continues to get at worse. one point at the end of the game, I had Evan and I each had five of those cards in our deck. Wow, it it was terrible. Wow, but the last round we won it because we were able to do thirty five damage to him on two turns because we had our decks culled so well. But had we gone one more turn, we would have died wow. because he would have. So it was down to the wire. It was just photo like finish. I like it. It was a photo yeah. finish. So for those listening. Uh, I'm probably just about ready to review Aeon's End. I do want to get experience with a couple of the other bosses. I want to play it about twice more. Yeah. And then let you lead that review. Right. But what I what I would say is I do think that the game can be a bit simple. Now, I've only played a level 2 boss and a level mm-hmm. 5 boss now. But I think if you choose your own market... It's too easy. It's too easy. Huh. Uh, there's... Um, Oh, what's the spell that heals you? I forget the name of it. But there's a spell that, like, when you cast it, you can heal somebody. Hmm. Well, that can be real. That's that's just a little bit powerful. Right. And, if you know, if you game that with some cards that call your deck and all that kind of, you know, you can game that game to be. And I don't, I'm actually not sure why people say this is such a brutally difficult game. Hmm. Robinson Crusoe is a brutally brutally (laughs) difficult game. First Martians is brutally difficult. This is not that hard to win at least in the in the bosses i've played so far interesting um but what you do get to choose you get to choose your characters up front that's important that's that's really important so i'm enjoying aeon zen okay well not to give you guys a peek behind the curtain but i got my hands on azul recently we're trying Uh to trying to review uh as many of the spiel and kenner spiel this yars nominees as we can so I'm not going to say much about this game because let's just say you might hear more about it in the future. But this was interesting. Uh, it's very puzzly. It's a very spatial puzzle type game. Very similar to Sagrada, but better in almost every way, I think. Hmm. Uh, I think it'll be a really useful kind of lightweight abstract to break out with people. And it's interesting. This really isn't even my style of game. I don't really like my abstracts where we're all working on our own individual boards, uh-huh. but I think it's very accessible and I think it's very easy to explain to people. So I do think it'll see a lot of play in my group. My group really took to photosynthesis, which I didn't like, although that doesn't have your individual. <laughs> and you boards. sold it off. even I though they liked it. <laughs> I sold it off. Uh, I never introduced Sagrada to them, but I did not like Sagrada. And now we have Azul, which I think I'll end up liking, but not loving. And mm-hmm. I think my group will end up really loving it. Um, so yeah, that's Azul. Not too much to say on that yet. Trying to get my plays in so that we can maybe do a review of that one soon. Yep. Well, I think it's time to move on to our review. So, a little bit of background here. Black Sonata is a game which won the print and play contest on Board Game Geek two years ago. And one, it swept like four different categories. I mean, everyone went nuts for this game. And for years now, now two years, it's been kind of this hidden gem in the print and play community. You've got to try Black Sonata. You uh, know, hear, hear those words again. Print and play. This is yeah. a print and play game. This game available was released for, for free. For, for, for totally free. Mm-hmm. I printed it originally through the contest. Loved it so much. I've since crafted two more copies and sent them away. One to a friend and one to someone else on Board Game Geek. I mean... I went crazy for this game. And now, so the context, the reason we're reviewing it now, two years after its release, is it's finally on Kickstarter because a brand new company finally picked it up and they're going to be publishing it and bringing it to a broader audience, which I think is phenomenal. I think this is a great game to look at if you're at all interested in solo games. Not to bury the lead, but there you go. So that is the reason we're reviewing it. And Tim, as you guys may know, is a little bit reluctant about solo games, but... He has played this one. I did. And wow, it's really interesting. I'll let you describe the mechanics because you have, Andrew is leading this review because he has far more experience with this one. <laughs> I have basically one solid play of it and a whole bunch of 
sitting there afterwards looking at the cards and analyzing what was going on. Yeah. And I have to say that the mind that put this game together is not a normal mind. Mm. This is one of those weird, you know, it just kind of reminded me of in a way, mm-hmm. a, a game that is completely like not even in this category, but spot it. Well, the cards on spot it, how like I'm sure there's some algorithm, but mm-hmm. somebody had to figure out how you can make, I don't know how many cards, you know, like 60 or yeah. 70 cards that all match exactly and only yeah. on one image. Yeah. Like what kind of mind, what kind of whacked out mind thinks that up? It's yeah. the same kind of mind that thought up yeah. the core of this game. Shout out to John Keane. You are a brilliant designer. Oh, I'm impressed, man. This I was, am really this impressed. This is a great game. Okay, well, let's lead you off with the theme of this game, which is, after all, what initially dragged me into this thing. Black Sonata, you find yourself in Shakespearean London, hot on the trail of literature's deepest mystery. I'm revealing how much of a nerd I am right now because I am just super excited about this. You are searching for the identity of the dark lady who haunts Shakespeare's sonnets and his heart. His muse. His muse, but also his tormentor, his captor. Mm. You hear a range of emotions about this woman and the hold she had on Shakespeare's life. The only problem is no one knows who she is. To this day, no one knows the identity of the dark lady. Your job in Black Sonata is to discover who she is. From 11 possible options, you are going to finally unmask the Dark Lady of Shakespeare's sonnets. And I'm assuming that the 11 options on those cards are They are all historically, yes, yes they are. And the icons on those women are actual attributes. Not only that they had, but that were mentioned in his sonnets. Interesting. There's an entire background booklet on the history of this game, actually. It's about 20 pages. So each lady gets about a page, front and back. And seriously, John Keane, phenomenal work here, man. I mean, this was just, yeah, everything about this game, the theme, everything just sucked me into it. So what are you doing in this game? It's a hidden movement game that you play solo. You are trying to track the Dark Lady through London. And as she moves through London, you are trying to track her and figure out different qualities that she has so that you can finally confront her one last time and reveal her identity. So you do that with a deck of cards in your hand, which is her movement deck and also your game timer. So when you've gone through that deck three times, the game is over. The deck of cards in your hand, however, is pre-stacked. Yes. According to, in a way that, um, you stack it according to like alphabetically, according to a column, but it doesn't give away anything about right. her location. Right. So this is a solo deduction game where you set up the hidden movement yourself and still don't know where she's going. Yeah. So I'm going to try to explain this system a little bit, and this is really hard to do without a visual aid. I will post some pictures in the show notes and in our final review of this game. Mm. I will post some pictures because it really helps you to understand it. But here's what's happening. So on the backs of all these movement cards is an eight-letter key, and this is how you're going to order the hidden movement track before the game. So you would look at maybe one column and lay out all the A through Z of that column. Mm -hmm. And there will also be a silhouette of the Dark Lady in a particular place on the card. Um, And then on the front of these cards is one icon, which corresponds to several different locations on the map of London, things like a theater or a bank or a pub or a house, and then you've got different corresponding locations on London. You've got two different banks in the city, four different houses, you know, three different parks, and so on. So if I draw a house card, I know that the Dark Lady is at one of the house icons on the board, but I don't know which one. And then when I draw the next card, I know that she's moved from, say, a house to a park because there's a tree icon. So then I can kind of, okay, that house is not near any park, so I can rule that option out. And, you know, these two are, so I know she could be at one of these two parks. And then gradually I'm tracking her movement through the deck and kind of narrowing down what the actual track that she's walking is. Because remember, we set the the hidden movement sequence at the beginning that we ordered is actually a track that she's walking in a loop of 26 locations. Mm -hmm. So she will always be at one of the possibilities. It's just up to me to kind of narrow down the the false trails and figure out where she really is. And then at the same time, I'm trying to get my own pawn to a place along that track 
so that when we're in the same place, I can confront her. And here's why you want to confront her, because this is how you're going to figure out her identity. When you set up, you put one dark lady card face down under the board, and this is the dark lady that you're trying to catch. She has three attributes that you must discover, and these attributes are different things like is musical, has children, is married, has comes from royal blood. And, and they're represented by these really easy-to-understand symbols. Right. So like a heart or a, exactly. an inkwell or something like that. Right. And so there are 11 possible dark ladies. So you're going to put one underneath the board, and then the remaining 10 cards will form your hint deck. And as you confront the dark lady, if you successfully confront her in her location, you will get new hint cards, which will give you some amount of of information about the actual dark lady that you're trying to discover. So for example, the dark lady under the board is a red circle. And I may draw a green hint card, which tells me that this particular green lady shares exactly one symbol in common with the red circle card I'm trying to find. So this lady has three symbols, and I know that one of them is in common with the one under the board. The cards have different hints. So right. like some of them will say, I, I share one symbol. Some of them will say, I either share zero symbols or yeah, two symbols. Those are the kicker. Yeah, and so that part of the game, this part of the game, not to jump ahead, no, but you're good. this part of the game is really the, the thinking. I mean, it's it's a fun logic puzzle. It it's is. a really, really, it fun, really fun visual logic puzzle. And I realize that as we're describing this with words, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of a lot of terminology is coming at you. But if you saw this, it's sort of like symbols on these cards with a little indicator that shows how many symbols are in what way they match with another card and the other cards that they're out there with. And it's like piecing all that together and eliminating options. If you like logic puzzles, you'll love this part of the game. Exactly. So each time you confront the dark lady, you get one more card that gives you more information about the one that's face down that you're actually trying to figure out in this game. So, So that's kind of the logic puzzle you're trying to do. You're trying to get hints, and usually you'll need probably, I would say, four to five hints to narrow down what the three attributes are on the face-down card. So you get these by confronting the Dark Lady, that is, tracking her to a specific location and being at that same location and confronting her. So here's how that works. This is where the game goes to another level. You take your current timer card, that has the location on it, let's say a house, and you line it up with the location card where you are, let's say Liberty of the Clink. Every location card has a hole punched in it, and once you've lined up the two cards, you flip them around. If the Dark Lady is in that place, she will have a silhouette in that hole. Yeah. Which means that not only did did John Keane create this alphanumeric key by which you can order the hidden movement, but also, at every point along that map, the Dark Lady matches up with a specific location. Which means for you to challenge her, you need to put that specific location there so that her silhouette shows through the hole punched in the location. Which means that in addition to a really thinky and cool logic puzzle, this game also gives you the thrill of little spy sets that you would buy as a kid where you would like yeah. put the thing over the other yes. thing and see the secret message or exactly. not see it. Oh my goodness, that part is really fun. So again, we are really struggling. I am really struggling to describe this game with words only. I will post some pictures. It will make more sense. I know we're talking about a lot of different symbols and decks and types of cards. It does make sense. You can get up and running with this game solo in like 15, 20 minutes to learn the rules, I would Mm -hmm. say. But that's the gist of what you're trying to do. You're tracking her movements through London. You're confronting her so that you can get hints about her three attributes, and then you're finally confronting her a last time to see if you got the right three attributes. And here's what brings attention in the game. The tension of the game is, is brought about by the fact that every time that you go searching for the lady, you're cycling through this deck that you're only going to be able to cycle through three times. Yes. So you may say, well, I'm going to take a risk and take some guesses here even without you know, knowing perfectly where she's at. Well, if you do that, well, it's all well and good, unless you're wrong, and that's going to put a fog card in your deck, uh-huh. which when you run across that fog card next time, just the way the deck is ordered, in essence, lets her get one movement ahead of you. Right. And so now you don't, I mean, that just you're just that much further away. You're not right. really sure what path she's on, and you sort of have to sort of start finding her all over right. again, which which is really... 
and she'll get more and more free moves the more hint cards you have. Right. So the closer you get to finding her, the harder it gets to continue to track her. I I agree. I think that's the ratcheting tension in the game. Because every time you find the Dark Lady, you get one more hint. Tells you a little bit more about her attributes. But then each hint you've discovered, you lose more and more of her trail because... A, those cards, those locations get replaced with fog cards, and you are going to be shuffling more cards for each hint that you have. So as your timer runs out, you just find yourself asking, oh man, do I get one more hint so I can be certain of her identity? Do I just confront her finally this time and not risk losing more cards out of my timer? That's a tense decision. That's a really good decision. That was my first magic, by the way, if you're if you're keeping score at home. <laughs> so... I think it's really like your second magic. Your first magic is the theme. Yeah, absolutely. Which the theme is incredibly well realized mm-hmm. in this game, particularly for a one-player solo puzzle game. Yeah. This theme is incredibly well realized, and everything that you do feels really thematic, mm-hmm. especially now that you explained the attributes on those cards. That, make, that makes total thematic sense. Yes. So you're looking for somebody who is similar to these two ladies, but not quite. Exactly. And so, yeah, that makes... I think of it as you're talking to all these other ladies, and they're like, well, what you really want is someone who's married. And then you're like, <laughs> well, I declare. And you're just, you know, kind of inching closer and closer by talking to all these other... They're telling you, well, clearly I'm not the dark lady, because I would never with Shakespeare... Oh, my lands. You know, they're just like... Mm-hmm. You're like sitting in a parlor, sipping tea with them, and they're like, what you really want is this one. You know, I... <laughs> Yeah, I, I know I'm a giant nerd there. But. Well, so it's the theme. To me, it's it's these two interesting puzzles and the way they sort of don't interact, but one causes the tension for the other yes. part of the game. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it, mechanically, it's a thing of beauty. Yes. Uh, to, to, to observe, and that would be, that would be yeah. my, my magic to yeah. it. And my favorite moment of this game, this is my top magic. When you finally decide, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to find her. I know where she's at on the board. Mm-hmm. If I can just get there and not hit any fog cards and lose her again. And I've got three attributes that I'm like 70% sure about. You have to trust your deduction from all those hint cards you've gotten. You have to hope that you have the right combination because often there will be multiple possibilities that yeah. you could you could explore if you don't oh man that's game over and she has slipped through your fingers because once you decide to unmask her if you're wrong you're you're done i mean that's right. it there's no going back because you've revealed that hidden card but man when you find her oh you are the one you you have found the the mystery that's eluded people for hundreds of years and that feels really good you know that feels really really good a win in this game is just so satisfying so now I have to bring up um, some potential tragics. And I'm going to say potential because okay. there are things that I see, but I've only had one play. You've okay. had many. Seven. So seven plays yes. of this. Okay. I think so. So my first potential tragic, but this may be mitigated, mm-hmm. is, okay, she follows a discrete path that's hidden to you initially because you just order the cards. But right. if you play that same column again, she's going to start at the same place. And follow the same path again, right? Yes. So the first answer is don't play the same column back to back. I mean, even straight out of the box, there's eight different tracks. And then the designer later released, I think, 16 more tracks. So there's really 24 different tracks you can play. Okay, so there's plenty of playability. plenty of replayability. And you just move on from one to the other, unless you've just got some kind of crazy photographic memory. The other genius thing about this game is, this blew my mind when I realized it. Because that sequence is internally consistent because it's a loop. You can cut the deck as many times as you want and it will still work. Oh my god. Did I just blow your mind? She can start from any point on that loop. Wow. So you cut the deck six times, you don't know where she is Okay, on there. then that's not a tragic. It's infinitely replayable. Oh yeah, totally. Okay. I, in fact, I had the same possibility. I would think the possibility for abusing the the memory aspect of this would come from the Dark Lady cards because there are only 11 of those. It is possible that you could really learn some of those really well and and have an advantage there. But even so, I've played this seven times and the Dark Lady is random every time. There's even three that are harder 
because you get less information from all the other cards. So the asterisk ladies are the hardest. So if you really want to challenge yourself, you can play with one of those. Um, so that would be the one place where replayability might be a concern if you do have, say, a photographic memory. I do not. I've played it seven times and had no problems there. I am shocked. This game has more replayability out of the box as a free print and play than many published games do. Okay, so I'm going to bring up another tragic that I think may be more legit because okay. I think that you don't need five plays to speak to this one. Okay. In fact, it's best to speak to it on your first play. Okay. This is hard for me to wrap my mind around. Yeah. It's thinky. I'm, it, it's hard for me, and the recommendation falls to you because mm -hmm. you played it five plus, mm -hmm. but it would be hard for me to recommend this game, like outright, mm -hmm. without caveats, mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people I play with who would look at that puzzle and say, uh, I'm overwhelmed by it. I was almost overwhelmed by it. Yeah. It took me, the, I had to discipline myself to sit a full way through, yeah. not knowing what the heck I was doing yeah. before. In the end, it kind of clicked in a little bit in a, in a way that almost felt like Lisboa, yeah. um, our first play of Lisboa, yeah. where about 80% of the game through, we're like, oh, yeah, that's how this works. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I totally watched your face through the game. I mean, at the beginning, you're like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll do this because I don't know why this is good or bad. Right. But by the end, I mean... For one thing, you really slowed down what you were yeah. doing and thinking about it. I agree. I think that, okay, if I say the words a solo deduction hidden movement game and your ears perk up at all, yeah, you should try this. Right. But the thing you have to know is inherent to that is a lot of fiddliness, which mm -hmm. is not, for me, that's not a tragic. I'm totally fine to deal with that. But you're right. The game timer is a little bit fiddly by nature. There's, It's a genius mechanic. I absolutely love it. But you're right that it does not... Okay, so I see your point, but I don't think that will affect my ultimate recommendation of this game. Because I don't think I've ever recommended a game just blanket for everyone possible. Mm -hmm. The closest I've come to that would be something super simple like The Mind, where... There's no opportunity yeah, cost to you trying it and out. And I get that, but I feel like this is more niche. No, I agree. I think I this mean, is I, a I think niche there are a game. lot of gamers who wouldn't be interested in this game. I think so. I think if you're looking to get into solo gaming, this might not be the game for you to start mm -hmm. with. I think if you've already played some solo games and you know you enjoy that sort of idea, this is the media solo game I own, and I love it because it's uniquely mm -hmm. a solo game. Yep. I was thinking about it. I was trying, I was trying to throw you a bone because I know you don't like solo games. So I was trying to think about it. You know, what would a two-player version of this look like? Obviously, you could probably hack it to play cooperatively somehow. Two of you on the board and maybe just I know exactly what a two-player version well, of this a two-player like. version. Either you would play it cooperatively or one of you would play as the Dark Lady. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Which I would love to see, but think about it. That would still, you'd have to redo so many of the different mechanics because the game timer is that deck of cards. Your your movement is constrained. And it honestly, totally it, would, different it wouldn't be that fun for the Dark Lady unless right. you added some new exactly. and interesting mechanics. Exactly. So, so I think, okay, a hidden movement game with a real player on the other end and this theme would be amazing. I would buy that in a heartbeat. But this is not that game. This is something different. This is uniquely a solo game. And mm -hmm. this is why I picked this game. We're about to discuss solos. This game is uniquely a solo game. It's specialized for a solo game. And I'll say this, that the amount of work, that then the amount of thought that went into pathing mm -hmm. the Dark Lady's movements mm -hmm. makes the deck intelligent. Yes. And this is where this is one thing that this game has, and may I, maybe this is a good place for me to close mm -hmm. on on this game because I can say that about most solo games, the main problem I have with it. Mm -hmm. Oh, we haven't gotten into this yet. Okay, we're we're getting we're there. almost there. But one of the main problems I have with solo games is the stupid AI, mm -hmm. and so I'm more willing to put up with that in a group setting. Yeah, for the player interaction, etc. But yeah, the AI in this is is brilliant. Yeah. So I'm I'm yeah. very impressed with that. Well, I'm sure you guys see this coming, but I recommend Black Sonata.
I I would say it is my highest rated solo game, and it's probably not close. I don't think it's necessarily the most accessible game. I don't think you should necessarily start solo games with this one, but don't be put off by the thinkiness because the thinkiness is what makes the game good, what makes the game replayable. If you feel that you could handle this, if you've played a couple solos or if you're just really into the theme, I highly encourage you to check out Black Sonata. It's well integrated with its theme. It's got a crunchy, satisfying puzzle behind it. It's got plenty of replayability. It's a it's a yeah. good get for you. And it's on Kickstarter now. By the right. time this airs, you're going to have about two weeks to go snag it. The campaign ends on July 1st. Um, this is a brand new game company, actually. Side Room Games. is This is their first game. And so you can support a new company. You can get this thing. I think it's already something like 300% funded. Wow. So it's it's attracted a little interest. And, and I'm glad for that because these are the sorts of games I really love to see on Kickstarter. I think the key to its success or failure commercially mm-hmm. is going to be the rules booklet. Yeah. I, I'm serious. Yeah. Because I think there are ways of explaining this game mm-hmm. that, that could make it really simple. If yeah. if you just kind of dumb down the pathing and say, look, you don't need right. to understand it. Just put them in this order and know that every time you hit a fog card, she's one away for you for each fog card you just hit. Right. Which, That's all you have to say. And if you say that, it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, I get that. I missed a trick. I wanted you to learn this from the rule book because I think that would truly be part of the solo experience. You're going to have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I taught it to you, but... I have in-depth knowledge of the game because I watched the work in progress thread. Right. So I actually watched him design this and that's just enhanced my appreciation for the game. I do think the rule book is good though. I didn't, I used the rule book when I first played the game because obviously changed through the WIP thread and um, it's more coherent as a rule book. I think it's a good rule book. There's a couple edge cases where I've had to post on board game geek. I don't think the, company producing the kickstarter necessarily changed that much from his initial vision so if that's really crucial to you maybe it rises and falls there i thought the rule book was good though i really wish the designer and the publisher well on this one i think that this is a a, a game that for the market that it's targeting yeah is darn near perfect yeah absolutely if you like solo games hmm so andrew you play solo games, huh? I do. I'm a nerd. <laughs> okay, this is an imaginary argument that has nothing to do with real life. Never happened. We're, we're purely role-playing here. <laughs> uh, so imagine that we're you know, two gamers and one of us likes solo games. And that would be Tim. The other one... <laughs> <laughs> the other one, not so much. No, that would be... Yes. That would take a lot of work. I'm more, a solo More work than I would be willing to put into it to put, in, put <laughs> yeah, myself in your shoes. Yeah, let's really role play this, Tim. <laughs> yeah, wow. Let's really play, let's both play devil's advocate for so, each other. So, yeah, you've probably caught on by now that Andrew's a solo gamer, and I am not quite so thrilled by solo gaming. So, Andrew, let's begin with one question. Oh, my goodness, not a question. It's a statement. Sell me. It's, inter- it's an imperative statement. Sell me okay. on solo board gaming. Why should I solo board game? prerogative in a sentence solo games are never going to be my favorites but they're a great way to sit down de-stress and spend a good half an hour it's fun i i mean i know there's other gaming related things i could do i could learn the rules to a new game or i could play star realms eight times on the app you know but it's fun to explore a new game that that i haven't experienced before and and experience some new mechanics so like Shady Torby's Oniverse, where everything is, you know, each new game he kind of explores a different mechanic and it's all set in this vaguely surreal and and beautiful world. Mm. Or or even Mark Tuck designed a snooker championships simulator. I mean, really, solo gaming gives me a chance to explore some out there stuff that that I wouldn't I would never bring a snooker championship game to my game group. I mean, that'd be stupid, but I'm personally a snooker fan. So mm-hmm. There we go. I tried it out. I loved it. It's a really fun way to scratch that itch in in a game. So it's a I enjoy cracking out and doing some discovery on my own. That would be my that would be my pitch. Okay. 
So why I don't solo game? Board gaming for me is inherently social. Hmm. One of the reasons I got into board gaming and pretty much within a year's time made a switch from video gaming to board gaming mm-hmm. to where I was doing majority of one to now majority of the other is because I liked the social experiences that arose around the table. And, and I also liked the thinky puzzles of the games. That, mm-hmm. I mean, my first really, like, games I got really into mm-hmm. were thinky puzzles. But it was cool to pit your brain against an opponent's brain and to kind of take your time with it and, and, and kind of just chuckle about, man, oh, you got me on that move. Oh, you mm-hmm. took that spot I was mm-hmm. interested in, et cetera. So it's kind of like this combination of the fact that the human across the table from you can provide a much better AI to play against. Mm-hmm. It kind of slows the whole thing down into a in, – in, into a. I, I like I don't mind the slowness of it. I, I often think when I play board games, wow, I'm taking like 10 minutes to make a decision that if I were playing a video game, I would just make that quickly, right? But I'm willing to go through that kind of exercise because the game just gives you that space to put that level of thought in. You have to put that level of right. thought in to beat the player across right. the table from you. And that's just, that's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. And when I sit down to play solo games, I... I don't have that interaction i don't i don't have that 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 interaction with a player across the table doesn't exist it almost feels unnatural for me mm-hmm. to pull a board game off the shelf and set it up with nobody across the table and just start shuffling cards around right it, it just doesn't make sense to me and see this is hilarious because you know i'm a play the player guy more so than yeah. you even yeah <laughs> you which know? really surprises me why yeah. you like these things but see think of it as a different facet of the same thing you know, a solo game is a cooperative game without certain compromises. A solo game is a critically difficult puzzle that that really couldn't... Okay, here's, here's a, a nuance here. I don't play solo versions of multiplayer games. I really think those are lame. I've not met many that I enjoy. But a game that's designed to be solo only, I think that's a puzzle that's uniquely that category that wouldn't quite work as something else you know uh Mm -hmm. snooker solitaire for example there's a dumb ai you roll some dice and that tells you how many balls they pot well fine i could play this game two player where we each take it in turns to pot balls but it would be a three-hour game and that's just not fun but when i roll some dice oh he potted 10 balls i put them aside you know that's a two-minute thing and now i can get back to playing so the the compromises and the decisions that the designers have to make are different when you're playing just one player as opposed to other players. And that's that's an interesting little corner of the board gaming world that I like to explore. And here's the funny thing, that my solo plays, mm-hmm. games that I have played solo, are all multiplayer co-op games. <laughs> that's and funny. part of the reason why I'll take the time occasionally to play them solo on the table mm-hmm. Uh, part of it is just sort of like uh, prepping or, you know, mm-hmm. wrapping my head around the game. Uh, part of it is that I like the crisis management puzzle that it presents, and right. I try to think about okay, if there are multiplayer, if there are multiple players in this, how would they attack this problem together? Mm-hmm. So part of it is the game analysis of it, mm-hmm. but the games that are strictly solo, mm-hmm. there was one that turned me off really quickly. So. Freedom and Freezes Friday. Friday, yeah. I kind of read the rules to it, kind of did a quick run through of it, and it was just, I don't know, the AI was just, it's all just pure luck of the draw, what comes yeah. out. And you could say that. Could you say that about Sentinels of the Multiverse? I suppose you could. Mm-hmm. But there's also that element to it of, okay, but when we're playing it multiplayer, it's it sort of depends on how we all react to it. Mm-hmm. And the decisions that we make could be nullified by later cards, that's true, but... Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a better illusion of choice, or maybe you actually have some choices, or maybe you right. have you you have some instinct about what has already come out and right. what may come out, and that's a more fun puzzle to solve together as a group, but as an individual, not so fun. Yeah, I guess where where I would return to is maybe I haven't played Friday, so I can't speak to that. But if luck of the draw is determining the game, then you're playing a bad solo game. Uh, what I like is the brutally difficult puzzle that also gives me a lot of mitigation for luck of the draw. Black Sonata, for example, has no luck mm-hmm. at all. 
There's no luck. It's purely mitigation. Yeah. Even something like, you know, to, to go to a more familiar one, Sylveon in, in the Oniverse, you know, that has luck of the draw. You don't know what you'll draw from the deck, and you don't know what fire cards are going to come out. But you have all the tools to deal with whatever comes out. It's just really hard. It's a fight for your life the whole time. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think my biggest justification for why games like these, I think solo games are just harder. And and I look at some of these brutally difficult games, and I just wonder if that's a niche that might be better served by solo games. You know, brutally difficult puzzles. The only ones I can think of that are that are brutally difficult that work well as multiplayer are the ones that hamstring your communication in some way so that they have to be multiplayer. You know, like The Mind or Hanabi or The Grizzled. Those are really difficult, but they depend on the multiplayer version. But, you know, a brutally difficult puzzle that's not just random luck of the draw, my mind goes to solo games. Okay. And so your mind goes to solo games. And then what you'll do is you go to your shelf, Mm -hmm. and you'll take the game off the shelf, and then you'll set it up on your table, and that'll Mm -hmm. take time. And you'll create the stack of cards like you do in Black Sonata, Mm -hmm. and that's going to take some time. And then you'll deal with the fiddliness of it. Mm -hmm. And I... See, to me, if I'm playing a game by myself, I'd rather just pick up the tablet and play an mm-hmm. app Okay, for okay. a couple of reasons. So now we're on a convenience issue. Now, uh, this is a convenience issue. Yeah, I play Sentinels of the Multiverse, actually, a lot on the app. And also, I, I'm going to divide app games into two categories here. Mm-hmm. One where you're still playing against the dumb AI. It's just that the app is making it more convenient managing for you. Bookkeeping. Right, it's managing the bookkeeping. And that's what Sentinels of the Multiverse does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make the game any smarter. It's just a whole lot more convenient. And that right. game has a ton of bookkeeping, a ton right. of fiddliness. Right. And it's so much cooler to do it on the app. Yeah. Uh, it just makes life that much easier. So, and, and consequently, I can whip through a game in 15 minutes on the right. app that would take me an hour or an right. hour and, and 20 minutes, you know, if I were to play on the table. So it's just that much more convenient. And the other thing, of course, is, Games where uh, the, the you you go up against an AI as an other player like, or uh, Star Realms or Race for the Galaxy, right? And some of my favorites are like Suburbia, yeah, Star mm-hmm. Realms, Race for the Galaxy, Star Realms and Race for the Galaxy. I've actually found relatively difficult to beat. Splendor is brutally easy yeah. to beat. Oh, um, go look at some of the research into this stuff. The Race for the Galaxy AI. I, I listened to. I think it was Ludology interviewed some of the people behind that. Some yeah. of the science behind how they developed those AIs. Really mm-hmm. fascinating. I mean, these are AIs that are able to teach themselves the game by playing it. Wow. That's why they're so good. Well, but. I wish Splendor had that because it's <laughs> to play a game of Splendor uh, on the app, and the app kind of rewards you for playing it quickly. Right. Uh, so I've gotten through games of Splendor in like five and a half minutes. Oh, but see, you could not imagine playing a game of Splendor uh, on, on the table in that amount of but time. But here's the thing. It's junk food. Why the heck would you want to whip through such a satisfying game as Sentinels in 20 minutes compared to an hour and a half. Why are you sacrificing? I'm getting the whole experience. Well, th- no, I'm just not no. having to fiddle around with all the, but here's the thing. ships and cards. Gaming is a limited resource. You're, you're not going to play Sentinels <coughs> of the Multiverse indefinitely. There will be a time when you play your last play of that game. And in my mind, apps are eating up those plays. Like, here's an example. We just reviewed Ganshon Clever. I've played that game about 40 times on the app and my copy hasn't even arrived and I'm just about sick of the game, which sucks because it's a phenomenal game. So I w- don't do it. I would love to teach it. <laughs> well, yeah, so don't do it, you say. But see, that's what, that's the distinction I'm trying to make. I I, I, was, I was not going into this discussion prepared to make this particular argument. I was actually going to say, I think you're still a solo gamer if you game on on the phone. But mm-hmm. I, I actually am realizing that there's a distinction here. I think you're forfeiting some of the enjoyment of getting it out on the table with other people when you play <sighs> the multiplayer ones on the app. I mean, okay, I could see the argument that something like Splendor, you've probably gotten all your enjoyment out yeah, of it. Yeah. So it's a mindless distraction. Right. Star Realms, it's a mindless distraction. But for a game that you really love, like Suburbia or, or Sentinels of the Multiverse, like why, you know why what, would though? you 
burn through in over your two years of the game. I, but see, I haven't with Suburbia. Mm-hmm. Every time I play Suburbia on the app, I think, man, I got to break this out with real mm-hmm. people. I love that game. It's mm-hmm. so well designed, and maybe it's maybe it comes down to that. Maybe it just comes down to the quality of the game on mm-hmm. that. I keep telling myself I've burned out on Star Realms, and I'll mm-hmm. uninstall it, and then a few months later, I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> i got to play another game of that. So maybe it says something to the quality of the game. Yeah, um, yeah, I burnt out on Dominion on the app. Splendor, though, I think I burnt out with people before I even hit the app. Yeah. I think it hits plays on the app just because it's, it's relatively there. quick yeah. and easy to do. And, and, I and think that's for a- five minutes, I don't mind the payoff that you get, but it's yeah. not worth a 45-minute yeah a human interaction payoff and i see i think that's fine because you got through the game in person you got all your enjoyment out of the 45 minute matches Uh before you went to the app a great game though is something i'll always come back to i mean i get your point it's yeah i could burn out on games easier but maybe i'm just not as worried about that given the size of my game collection yeah and i know we think differently about this i tend to think of games as a more limited resource you know i know i have a certain number of plays in me. So if, for example, you know, if someone came out with a Sherlock Holmes consulting detective app, mm-hmm. I would be over the moon, but I'd also really question if I wanted to play that because every time I sit down and play that game, that's two or three hours that I really treasure those okay. memories. I mean, that's incredible time. So why would I, you know, sit on the toilet and play it? Well, okay, but now now you brought up one that, like, I don't know if this is going to help or hurt my point, but uh-huh. I'm going to say... <laughs> Like for Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, I would not want to play that alone. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the easiest games to play alone. Yeah. And that's a game where the AI is built into the story. Yeah. And, and it doesn't so, matter how many players you have. Right. But see, that's exactly my point. I do not like to play solo versions of multiplayer games. I would class Sherlock Holmes as a multiplayer game first, primarily. What I enjoy is when a designer is not limited by the multiple players, they can come up with some cool stuff like this Black Sonata game or yeah. anything in the Oniverse. You know, those are unique games that you're not going to see if they were multiplayer. And here's the weird thing, and I haven't fully put my finger on why, but I'm not going to seek that out. Mm-hmm. As much as I enjoyed Black Sonata, actually Black Sonata is the closest thing mm-hmm. to one of those, to one of these pure yeah. solo games that I might actually try on my mm-hmm. own. Yeah. But boy, I, I know you're not going to like to hear me say this, but it's it's the truth. I just not sure even if that was on the game shelf that's behind you right now, mm-hmm. if if I'd ever really get it yeah. out. And um, see, here's another difference between you and me. I'm a web designer. I sit in front of a computer for eight hours every day. That's all I do. I'm in front of the computer all the time. I need to wear glasses for eye strain. You know, <clears throat> the whole nine yards. So when I get home, the last thing I want to do is watch TV or get on an app. I still want a game, yeah. You know, but I want to be on the table. I like that it's analog, and <clears throat> even when it's just me, I still value the fact that it's analog. That I'm out on the table. I'm finally not on the computer. I can sit in a comfortable chair. I can uh, play this game. Okay. The fiddliness just doesn't bug me. Yeah, because you're you're ready for something more tactile, right? And so here's what you may or may not have noticed about me. Mm-hmm. I never play app. I never play games on the tablet mm-hmm. during the day. Hmm. This is at night, right before I go to bed. Yeah, get a couple games knocked out. Yeah, makes me sleepy. Yeah, uh, once I start kind of like closing my eyes a little bit on <laughs> Gunshot Clever, I just close out the app and I go to sleep. Right. So you see, it's not part of my normal. It's just different routine gaming experience yeah. that I would That's do. Fair. What I do when I'm by myself and I want to engage in my board game hobby, mm-hmm. well, lately, I've been painting. Paint Gaslands so cars, I've been baby. painting Gaslands yeah. cars, or I pull out a game, uh, like, uh, you know, a game off my shelf that is still in the shrink or that I haven't played or that I haven't played in a while, mm-hmm. but I want it to be part of one of my next plays, and I pull mm-hmm. out the rules or I punch out a new game and I figure sure. it out. Or I get on Board Game Geek and, you know, check things, you know, check out what's going on there or in some of my my favorite review sites, et cetera. That's the kind of thing I'll engage in in the board gaming hobby when I'm not with other people, but I'm not likely to play a board game on my own. It's just it's just not my style. But I'm not I am not saying that if it is your style that there's anything wrong with that. I, <laughs> I, I mean I've heard some pretty rude things that people compare playing, you know, a solo board game to. Uh, it's not it's I don't I don't think that it's a necessity i don't think anybody who plays a solo board game is necessarily some kind of anti-social geek i get why you would do it it's Mm -hmm. just not for me yeah so that's fair 
But yeah, yeah, just different strokes for different folks. But so there we have a definitive answer to the question: Is solo board gaming worth it? It depends. And the answer is <laughs> one, two, three. It depends. No, I mean, yes, it depends. Okay, it does depend. It depends. It depends on you. <laughs> so. But if you were going to do it, I, I would say, and I'm glad that we reviewed that game today. Yeah. If any game was going to convince me to, to this hardened multiplayer only board game <laughs> fellow uh, to play a solo game experience or to engage in that, it would be Black Sonata. Yeah. And I do think it's worth checking out if, if anything about that review was interesting to you back to that. And for my part, if uh, they ever come out with a Black Sonata app, I'll be right there with you playing it because mm-hmm. I think with a solo only game, the sacrifices of an app are, are less and you do get the savings on paperwork and fiddliness. So, yep. So well, there you yep. have it. We took a little-known solo game, I guess, and mm-hmm. shined a little bit of a spotlight on it now that it's getting a Kickstarter. Turned it into almost an entire episode that you listen to probably by yourself in a way you are oh, engaging man. in You're solo, a solo podcast gamer. You, oh, yeah. Wow. I can't believe Ugh. it. You don't listen you don't to podcasts, podcasts with socially? the other people? That's other really something. That. Yeah, man. absolutely. So thanks right. for listening to Get On Board. You can find us online at getonboard.games. You can look up our board game geek guild. You can find me out there, board game Greek. You can find Andrew AAJ94. Where else? Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on iTunes, Google Play Music, anywhere you get good podcasts. We should be there. We post new audio reviews on Mondays and we post new written reviews on Wednesdays. Thanks so much for joining us. And this week, clear out a night. Invite some friends over, get some great gaming in. Or play by yourself. You know that's cool, too. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. Okay, here we go.